Welcome into the Pursuit of Manliness podcast, where we are vigorously equipping men to pursue biblical manliness. My name is Jarrett Samuels. I'm the host of the podcast. Men, as always, I want to thank you first for uh, taking time and checking out today's podcast episode. Today's podcast episode, as always, on the Out in a Garage podcast is sponsored by Dark Water Woodwork. Visit darkwaterkc.com. Check out the Out in the Garage beard bundle. You can get the beard balm, beard oil, save 15% off your order when you put in the code Leviticus19. That's what we're talking about today, Leviticus chapter 19. So that's all one word, capital letters. Put that in Leviticus 19, save 15% off your out in the garage beard bundle and check out what else he's got there. He's got a lot of things going on, darkwaterkc.com. As you know, we're in Leviticus 19, but before we get into that, I got to tell you, Make sure you sign up for the fall men's retreat, just like tribe registrations. It's inevitable. There's somebody listening right now who's really not listening. You're hearing me, but you're not listening. And I'm saying, hey, you need to get signed up. You need to do this. You need to. And then we get like mid-September and like, oh, is it too late? I was, I thought I had more time. And Sign up. 40 bucks, man. 40 bucks. You're going to eat $40 in food before you get out of here. I'm telling you, all, all your real, your, the cost you're going to incur is getting here. And you get here, you can camp out, you can camp out in an RV, tent, deer blind, sleep on the ground, hammock, I don't care. Get a hotel, Airbnb, whatever you want to do, partner up with other people, it doesn't matter. But it is a powerful, powerful weekend of worship, camaraderie, uh, just hanging out, just good men, um, nothing fancy about any of us, and some guys bring their sons, some guys bring guys from church or whatever, it doesn't matter. Just get here. Now I'll say this, sign yourself up and you're bringing someone with you. You need to sign them up as well. So visit thepursuitofmanliness.com. Visit the gear store. So click the tab gear. It's the first icon. If you're looking at it, it's going to be on your left-hand side. You're going to see the retreat logo. Get signed up. Secure your spot. And uh, get here. You'll be glad you did. Hey, we're in Leviticus chapter 19, and uh, we're talking about the holiness of God. Okay, this is, a, this is something that's going to be repeated over and over and over. And there, I think there can be... This idea when we read text like this to say, well, that was good for them. And then we close it and we just kind of go about our business. We're, we, if you look at Leviticus 19, you're going to see uh, not only is this for the Levites or the priest, this is for everybody. It's like what I say in, in like in Titus where uh, you get, instru- in, in, I think it's First Timothy, you get instructions for elders. Elders are supposed to be exceptional at those things. Titus chapter 1 gives a good image of what an elder should be and you know the call, etc. But that list is for Christians. It's for all believers. And, and don't think for a second that because you're not on an elder board or deacon board or trustee board, whatever you all call it, um, that you get a pass on that. Or we look at this and say, well, I'm not a Levitical priest. Um, no, this is for everybody for all time. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 1, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Now, God's going to continue to repeat this over and over that I am the Lord, your God. I believe it's eight other times in this text. Um, I don't have the courage to try to count it right now. Actually, it looks like it's probably a little bit more than that. Uh, I got it underlined in red. Every time he says, I am the Lord, your God. I am the Lord. God is making it very clear that there is that there is a pursuit of true holiness that we are to maintain. Essentially, 
we are a separated people unto God. The nation of Israel was to be a people group that the rest of the world would see and look to and say, that is how the people of God live. They live different. They act different. They treat one another different. They treat us different. Friend and foe, they treat us different. They were supposed to look at the nation of Israel and say, there's something different about them. And that's what the Christian call is. There's something different about us. Do you have God living inside of you or do you not? Have you surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ or have you not? Have you confessed him as your Lord and your Savior, or or have you not? Because if you have, oh, brother, you're supposed to live radically different. We talk about raise the standard. This is not coming up with some new ideology of what a Christian life should be. We're, We're looking at Scripture and saying, raise the standard. Why? Because the standard is so low that if you just do the minimum, If you just do the menial task of being a a Christ follower, if you are just a guy in your church that will show up on a regular basis, serve in some capacity, and regularly read your Bible, you're probably in the top 10%. Honestly, you're probably in the top 10%. You're a faithful attender, you're an active participant within that church body, and you're feeding yourself on a regular basis the Word of God, I I guarantee you alone are set apart from the rest of the herd of humans. I, I, I promise. This is why this is important. God's standards of holiness have not been discarded, regardless of how we treat them, regardless of how we market them or brand them, although, sadly, they are disregarded in a lot of ways when it comes to our church, and what happens is then is it renders us ineffective. We say, well, I don't know why we're not making disciples. I don't know why people are walking away from the faith. I don't know why our children don't want anything to do with church. I don't know. You really don't know why? Do you really not know why? God says, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. It means set apart from the common. And in this case, to, to the perfect and divine one true God. Again, I talk about be rare, like a rare coin you find it and say it's got tremendous value because there's not many like it. Be rare. Be exceptional. I was talking to a young man today and he was talking about he's got a sibling who sleeps in and this, that, or the other, but he's got this um, other sibling who always wakes him up and says, come on, man, we got to get to work and stuff. And he says that he sees potential in me. And I said, Winners don't sleep in, man. They, they just don't. People who are going to do something in life, they're not lazy. They're not lacking bread in the cabinet, ever. God says, be different. The standard is different for, for those who are to be holy. How can an unholy people give a good opinion on the visible, invisible God to the godless world if they're not going to try to live like him. Throughout history, the church has had the most impact on the world, on their culture, when it looked the least like their world. 
Could this be why the church, especially in America in 2023, has very little impact on their culture? What have we tried to do? Look like the world. We've tried to look like them. We got banners outside our doors that say, come on in, we're just like you. We talk just like them. We show movie clips that they watch. We talk about things in, in our culture that, that they know. We say, man, don't you see? We're, we're, we're just like you. God says, no, you're not. And if we do want to be just like the world, then that means we haven't been set apart for God. The primary reason for all the holiness and obedience is the character and authority of God to be on display. Hey, man, why don't you talk like this? Why don't you go the places we go? Why don't your kids do the things we do? We, we just don't do that. We don't, we don't do that. We, we, we try to live in, in a healthy, holy fear of God. Man, how's the last time you told one of your friends that you live with a healthy and holy fear of God? Uh, we, we are more concerned with, with the, the neighbor's opinion of us or the Little League coach's opinion of us or the snack mom or whoever's in charge there than, than we are of God's. The phrase, the Lord your God, signifies a personal relationship with us. God says, I desire a personal and intimate relationship with you. And so when we look at this, again, the, it was projected upon the Levites, but what you see throughout the rest of Scripture, particularly Leviticus and so on, is this was to be, this was to be the example of how the people were to live. Man was made in the image of God and is expected to reflect divine likeness in, in a plethora of ways, including our ethical, moral, religious standards. These standards aren't based on something that you and I draw up in our basement and say, yeah, that works pretty good. I think we could sell that. I think we can market that. That's simple. That concise. Has enough bullet points. No, these standards are based on the never-changing nature of the Almighty. But I have a fear that we think... We can change them. We can deconstruct them. We can tear them down. I notice nobody's building it back up, putting it back together. I, I notice that we're great at tearing things down. We're great at critiquing. We're, we're great at tossing rocks at people. But we're never building it, putting anything back together. You know, you really don't have to because God's already put it together. And he says, it's not changing. Joe Schmo down the street that knucklehead with a social media account, that guy who posts three times a day or screenshots his own tweets so you can see what he did on Twitter, those guys love to hear themselves talk. They love to sound deep. They love to, you know, do word circus with you and have all these words and, and have all this empathy and all this sadness in their heart and this breaks my heart and that breaks. I notice a lot of people whose heart breaks for the church and stuff. They're not doing a lot to heal the church. Very few of them are actually connected to a, a, a healthy, functioning church. They usually can't, they can't exist within a church. So they got to kind of do their own thing at best and maybe, maybe nothing at all. But they're, hey, don't worry, man. Their, their Facebook status from 32 minutes ago said how much their heart breaks for the church and how we need to wake up and get this right. And usually you find out those people aren't really, they're not making disciples. They're not evangelizing the lost. They're using their social media 
to grandstand, to, to, to somehow put themselves in victimhood. I wish I could do something about this. My heart breaks, my heart breaks for the church, right? Well, the good news is in the New Testament, Christ comes and he also gives us a standard of holiness. And we know this primarily as kicking things off as the Sermon on the Mount. That guy sits down and starts talking. Everyone had to go, this is different. We were at a Christ in youth uh, thing. Was that last week? Feels like a month ago. Last week. And there was a guy. I think I mentioned him the other day on the podcast, as a matter of fact. Um, I can't even remember his name. Miguel. Miguel de la Mora, something like that. And this dude was bringing the heat. I mean, bringing the heat. Now, he's talking primarily to high schoolers, but I thought to myself as he's, as he's teaching, like, there's some kids in here who have a hard time with this. There's some grown-ups going to have a hard time with this because the way he's talking, I, I guarantee that they don't hear that kind of teaching on a regular basis. They don't hear someone that stands on the edge of the stage that looks like they're about to fall off, who starts to sweat, and they got the veins come out of their neck, who believes everything they say to the point that they're just imploring the listeners, move on this. There's so much on the They just they don't hear that. And so when they see it, I'm not sure what to do with that. How much more so Jesus, who just went and got in a boat. Somebody, let, me, let me just tell you about the kingdom of heaven. And they're like, you know, everything we've heard about the kingdom of heaven, it's, it's you know, a bunch of rules. And he said, let me tell you about this. So the purpose of this practical holiness that Christ is displaying on the Sermon on the Mount is, not, is more direct and, 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 and suitable, obviously, for the people that are hearing that. They, they've, they've spent so, so many years, so many centuries of just spiritual oppression to the point they say, man, if, if this is what God is, how can anyone have a relationship with him? What did Jesus talk about? You're to be holy. You're to be holy. For the Lord, I'm the Lord. You're to be holy, right? Giving us that example. And so we're really without excuse. But it is hard. Because like yesterday, I was trying to drive. Was it yesterday? I think it was yesterday. I was trying to drive home to talk to my wife. And as I was going home, I got behind a school bus that was really slow. They got behind like a city truck. Don't never get behind like a city truck. They're never in a hurry. So I got behind one of them. I got behind everything I got behind getting home. I, I, I bet it took me maybe twice as long to get home. It was unbelievable. And it was like I was reminding myself, maybe the Lord's trying to teach me something here to get my heart ready for the conversation. We had a heavy conversation. It was a good conversation, but heavy conversation. I want to get my heart right because I'm a guy and I think I know all the answers. And by the time I got home, I thought, I don't have any answers. <laughs> I'm exhausted from the trip home. And so what we see here in Leviticus 19, I'm not going to read them all to you, but I'm going to give you uh, what I'm going to say, like a quick list, if you will. And I'll just touch on it. Verse 3 talks about honoring your mother and father, which is, is a command that goes like with a promise. When you honor your mother and father and you're a grown man, do you have to do everything they say, everything they do? Do we forget fathers do not exasperate your children? Don't be the parent that lords the honor your mother and father. If you have to, if you have to lord honor your mother and father over your kids, there, there's something, there's something off there. And again, I, I say this because I, I mean, I talk with people like this. You know, if you're married, that that you've now left and you hold fast to your bride, you got to take care of that. So we want to make sure, you know, we're not in the business of dishonoring, but at the same time, you know, we don't we don't have to lord that over them either. And he talks about not, in verse four, have nothing to do with idols. Nothing is allowed to take the place of God and the affections of God. It doesn't take much to, for something to take the place of God, does it? We would never call it an idol. You would never call your career an idol. You never call your hobby an idol. You would never call your vacation time an idol. You would never call your financial investments an idol, but they can become an idol 
when they take the place of God. He talks about in verse 5, make sacrifices willingly, that we willingly will let go of things. Paul talked about that, like suffering, all this stuff. It's rubbish compared to knowing Jesus Christ. Sometimes that's hard for people. Maybe you grew up and your, your family never tithed to the church. You never served the church. I know people who really struggle with that idea of serving, serving in a church. Why? Because they like their time. And they don't want to have to give up anything extra. I just want to go home. Well, how do you think these people get there at the door and make coffee and watch your kids? I don't know. They're just nice people. I'm not doing that. Yeah. Uh, verse 9 and 10, remember the poor, right? Follow the example of the master. Now, now some people are social justice people. We're going to fix. Jesus came to fix all the poor. No, he said the poor you'll always have among you. He said that, 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 that will always be the case, and it's the case for a number of different reasons, but don't, don't, don't toss them aside either, right? I'm not in the business of everything has to be, you know, fixing all the social ails of our, I'm not in that, but the same token, somebody needs something, you help them out. That's what you do. Uh, verse 11, deal honestly with, with one another, right? Deal honestly with one another. Uh, verse 12, don't dishonor the name of God. It's so easy, right? Because we use all these different words that are close, but not quite. Let's not see how close we can get, right? God is even jealous for his name, his own name. That, that tells you how serious he is. We want to consider those who serve the Lord, right? Verse 13, wages are paid and due. I know a lot of churches, they'll just starve their pastors. They'll put them up in shabby conditions and go, well, he'll be here for 14 months and we'll find a new one. Uh, you will be accountable for that. Uh, verse 14, we don't take advantage of other people, right? Uh, it's so easy to become impatient with people who, you know, drive us crazy or whatever. Like, be patient with them. You, you don't know everybody's story. You don't know what's going on with everybody. Um, and so we go on and on. That He just talks about this idea of he is holy, he is holy, he is holy. And so if he's holy, we are to pursue his holiness, right? And so what we're going to do is if he's holy, and then what we see essentially in verse 31 is then we disregard unholiness. So you say, is that holy? Is that something becoming of a man of God? Is that something that a Christ follower should do? A God-fearing individual, should they talk that way? Should they live like that? Should they look like that? Should they? Then we disregard it. We say, we're, we're not doing that. For success in the work of God, he depends entirely upon the power and the wisdom of the Spirit of God. We put our faith in God, in his holiness. I don't put my faith in things that are dark. I don't put my faith in luck. I don't live by sin and say, well, that must have been God's blessing. Or that was, I don't, I don't endorse false doctrine. There was something that happened recently. A, a, a friend of mine got a text, and it was this person saying their kid got saved. Now, I don't get to decide who's saved and unsaved, right? You know that. However, this kid is really young, and this kid is uh, has no clue what he's talking about. But we're going to celebrate salvation for someone who has absolutely no clue what they're doing. Uh, do you see the problem there? You don't want someone growing up and getting a false idea of what salvation is. Is there is there true doctrine? If I'm talking to the guy who's never heard the gospel and I'm presenting it to him, is it true to him as much as it would be to a kid who doesn't understand sin, repentance, or any eternal life or anything like that? Yes, 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 it is. And so we say, well, I'm not going to celebrate chaos. I'm not going to celebrate unholiness. 
I'm not going to justify darkness or wickedness or evil means or whatever whatever the things may be that come across our eyeballs just because it's easier, just because it's relevant, just because it's the norm. I want to go back to that. When and throughout the history of the world did the church, okay, for the guy that's not connected to the church, did men of God, did families have the most influence on their culture? It's when they lived radically different lives. You live a life that looks as close to your culture as possible. There's nothing set apart at all there. And so take a look at Leviticus 19. Some of y'all don't even know that's a book in the Bible. You need to get in there, get in Leviticus 19. I got all kinds of red lines up here on the Lord your God and the Lord your God. He just goes on. There's a lot there. I, I just barely scratched the surface. And that's the unfortunate part of going through this especially as we touch on Leviticus and Numbers, um, my fear is it, it, it can get um, a little heavy if we touch on all these things. I mean, he's talking about um, interacting with deaf people. I mean, there's just a lot There's a lot there. So if you're willing, go read Leviticus 19. Read Leviticus 19, check it out, mark it up. And again, I'm going to end with this verse 17, and you shall observe all my statutes and all my rules and do them, I am the Lord. Again, all means all. And when God gives us a statute, when God gives us rules, when he gives us commandments, he's not budging on them, even if we think he is. Amen? Man, I appreciate you guys listening to this podcast. Make sure you click the link in the show notes. Visit Darkwater KC. Secure your spot at the men's retreat. I'd love to meet you, man. I'd love to meet you. I'd love to have you meet some of the guys in tribe, some of the guys in the herd. We're gonna, they're going to be here early. We've got some things going on for them. and love to introduce you to those guys, connect you to them, bring some people from your church, whatever. But let's keep building better men together. <music>